Vector Podcast is here. I hope you have been waiting for another episode. And today I have a rock star with me, uh, Joe Christian Bergum, uh, a distinguished engineer uh, with Yahoo. Um, and he has been super vocal in the field of vector search. And he has been also advocating for one of the famous vector search engines and actually like a platform. Uh, surely Joe can talk more about it called Vespa. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Hey, Dimitri. I'm, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much for, for taking time to talk to me. And I mean, uh, it's, it's fantastic being here man, on your show. I mean, it's become so popular. So, And thank you for that introduction. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm a rock star, <laughs> but uh, it's really interesting to be here. And I really look forward for our conversation on, on vector search and and Maybe we'll touch on language models as well, and and we'll talk a little bit about Vespa and the, and the technology in, in Vespa. So I'm really yeah. excited. Yeah, looking forward to that. And I mean, you are a rock star. I can hear you every way on Twitter and you know LinkedIn and blogging. And so what else? <laughs> so uh, this has been. Um, um, you know, this has been like this, and I'm really glad to hear to talk to you here today. And I'm. Uh, so as a tradition, could you please introduce yourself however you want and all the detail you want and we'll take it from there. Yeah, so my name is Joe Christian and um, I work for Yahoo and I've been working for Yahoo since 2007. Um, my current role in, in Yahoo is a distinguished engineer and uh, I work on the Vespa platform. And I've been working on search and recommendations since about 2001, uh, when I joined uh, a company here as an intern uh, during my studies, uh, a company called Fast Search and Transfer, a Norwegian company. And back then they were doing web search with this web search engine called alltheweb.com. So they started around 98, I think, trying to compete with Google and, and so on. And then Yahoo came along and bought uh, the web search division, the team here in Trondheim, they also bought um, Alta Vista and so on. So that was back in 2003. And in 2004, um, Vespa was born. So, and I joined, uh, I actually worked in, in FAST in, in the enterprise search division for some time, uh, three years. And then I joined Yahoo in 2007. And since then I've been here. Uh, working on on search uh, and Vespa in in Yahoo, so, yeah. so that's my yeah. my background. I also hold a master degree in computer science from from the Norwegian University here in in, in Trondheim. So, oh yeah, that's great. Actually, by the way, I did visit Trondheim. Was it was it two thousand seven? Uh, for an interview with one search company, not fast, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a great great visit. I mean, I love the city. Uh, it's an amazing place. Yeah, it's it's an amazing place, and and uh, and it's funny what you said about search and, and Trondheim because it really has a special, uh, maybe special even in Europe because we at one time we had both Google, uh, Bing. And Yahoo here in in in, in Trondheim, uh, so that was a fantastic time. Google shut down their office here in Trondheim, um, and uh, but now we have a Microsoft is here in Trondheim, and also Yahoo has an office here in, in Trondheim. So there's yeah. a lot of uh, search uh, technology competence here in, in Trondheim. 
This is amazing, actually, yeah. for for a relatively small city. But I think Trondheim used to be a capital of Norway at some point in back in history. Right? Yeah, in, at some point back way back in the Viking days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So so now all these Vikings are search engineers. Yeah. <laughs> Just to stop the <laughs> going around with boats and harassing people. Now we yeah. develop such technology. Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, such a move. Wow, and, and I also understood that in Trondheim, as you said. There is uh, the university. Is it actually one of the talent suppliers for this industry or engineering in general? Yeah, it is. Uh, we have the the largest technical university in Norway, is here in Trondheim. So, has an old kind of history, and and uh, yeah, so it's it's definitely one of the reasons why um, the search companies have evolved. And and um, the fast search and transfer, the company was founded uh, by people coming out of the university here. So Knut Magnetisvik, Bergesving, and so these Turegge, uh, and they, they came, they actually started with FTP search uh, back, in, back in 1997. So, and that developed into this web search engine. And then eventually this became uh, Vespa in, in Yahoo. Oh yeah, yeah, sounds good. So nice. I can actually maybe touch on the backgrounds since I, I've mentioned now web search and you know how maybe not everybody has heard about Vespa. And, and um, so Vespa actually, uh, we started developing Vespa in, in 2004. So Yao said that, you know, we brought you into the company. We want you to build a vertical search platform that we can use across our properties in, in Yahoo. So for example, uh, Yahoo Finance, uh, Yahoo News, they need to have some kind of search engine. So, and they gave that task to us here in Trondheim. So they started building uh, Vespa, uh, the Vespa platform, um, using the roots and the technology from the web search, uh, putting that into uh, a, a package that the verticals could install and use. And then, over time, um, this so basically starting with basic BM25 uh, like search, like uh, keyword search, and then gradually uh, Vespa added more features, real time indexing, um, tensors, um, aggregations, grouping facets, and so on. So it really developed uh, over time, and new requirements came in, um, especially. When we started Vespa, it was around search. But in 2007, 2008, around that time, uh, Vespa was also starting to be used more of as a recommendation engine. So, so serving of recommendations. So when you go to financeyahoo.com and there's a set of articles that are recommended to you, the serving engine doing that is, is, is Vespa. And uh, then uh, in 2017, uh, Yahoo decided that we're going to open source uh, Vespa uh, to the world. So we open sourced it using our Apache 2.0 license. And we still continue to actively, very actively uh, develop on, on Vespa and add new features and, and so on. So that's the kind of brief background. So Vespa is not new. Uh, it's, it's really kind of, it has a very long history. And I think that's also a great thing. And, and we can talk maybe a little bit about it because uh, you know, when you develop software over time, uh, there are a lot of changes you know, in the infrastructure. Uh, there was no cloud, public cloud. There were no Kubernetes. 
mm-hmm. um, and from 2004. And when I started in 2007, you know, a high power uh, content machine, uh, content node machine would have maybe eight gigs of RAM, right? Uh, and it would have uh, maybe uh, maximum one gigabit per second network. And if we go fast forward, you know, and it will have spinning disks. And now we have NVMe SSD disks. We have nodes with four terabytes potentially of memory, um, lots of CPU power. Uh, so there's like keeping up uh, in improving the software uh, and, and, and adapting it to the hardware, new hardware and so on. That's, it's been really fun to watch. And I, I think we did a good job of actually making Westbound kind of modern uh, from yeah. something that started in 2004. Uh, it sounds like really an exciting journey and um, really like starting from when you, what you explained, like, you know, small scale servers in the way, all the way, and the technology has changed so much, right? The disks became faster, I guess, and, you know, the network has become faster. And like, I remember like in Silicon Valley sitcom, if you if you watched it, it like they had a case when they optimized one module in the system and the whole system went down because it's way too fast right so it's like so it sounds like um you have done quite a bit of job to actually keep this ship afloat and like uh, if i understood correctly uh technically speaking vespa or portion of vespa is implemented in java right and then portion in c or c plus plus and then you also have some python and and maybe you can talk more about you know, the choice of languages and uh, sort of culture um, that uh, there is in the team. But I'm also curious, like around the same time, Apache Lucene was also developing, right, quite quite fast. Uh, did you kind of look at what that team is doing, which is like an open source project? Was there something to loan from? Yeah, so let me tackle the first questions around Vespa and um, the kind of languages that we used. And there's a lot of things here to, to cover. Um, so Vespa is around 1.7 million lines of code, uh, the total Vespa platform. Um, and it's uh, roughly 50% is written in Java and 50% is written in C++. Um, and why do we use two different languages and what are the trade-offs? So, in the Vespa architecture, we made a clear distinction between what we call uh, the cluster that holds the content, where you actually index and invert the documents and you have all the data structures for fast searching in these data structures. The content layer is written in C++ because you're managing a lot of data. Um, you have uh, data that you need to have in memory and so on. So, and it needs to be fairly uh, efficient. And then on the what we call the stateless layer is the layer that actually interacts with user requests. So a user request comes in, it's accepted by an HTTP server, and there you do, and that layer is written in Java, so you can also then deploy plugins. Uh, you can write your own searcher functions that can dispatch the query uh, and get a reply, and you don't, it's transparent from a given searcher if you have a hundred node cluster or if you have a single node cluster. Uh, so that's kind of hidden away when you when you deploy a plugin. So, so those languages have different trade-offs. So it's a lot easier for people to write plugins using Java uh, without shooting themselves in the foot using C++, right? 
So in the content layer in C++, we don't allow any kind of plugins. You can contribute or you can contribute to the open source, but then it needs to be a kind of feature. We don't allow you to embed a library or something into, into the content layer. So, so that's a trade-off. So then you mentioned Python. Uh, we have a Python, what we call PyVespa, which is a language binding on top of the HTTP API. So it's it's not of the core kind of Vespa. It's, it's, it's an API where we built um, around interacting with Vespa and doing model evaluation and, and evaluating, for example, different retrieval and ranking strategies and so on. Mm -hmm. yeah, but so. yeah, so that's the kind of language. And uh, regarding Lucene, Apache Lucene, so if I recall correctly, I think Apache Lucene started in 1998, so around the same time. Um, uh, so there's a lot of inspiration, of course, and it's not that many ways you can build a search engine. So, and Lucene pretty much uh, is a really good library. Um, so yeah, definitely we, we look at, you know, what's what's happening in, in uh, open source. And they have a lot of uh, admiration for the work and the committers of Apache and Lucene. I mean, it's, it's a great job uh, that they've done and they've been able to develop this over 20 years. Um, and the dip core differences between Vespa and Apache Lucene is that Vespa is a full kind of engine. So it becomes more of like comparing Vespa with Elasticsearch or Apache Zular, which is kind of an engine on top. So there's no like Vespa like library which you can use. You have to kind of buy the whole, um, you have to buy the whole platform. Yes, yeah, basically like a web server around it and all the components like the nodes and overseer and other architectural elements. Yeah, for sure. And on the Python side, I'm also curious, like with all the development of models and, you know, hugging face and you can pretty much find a paper and then most likely there is a model already available in some shape and form. And so the Python layer in Vespa, does it help, you know, newcomers to kind of easier experiment with these models in conjunction with Vespa? Um, we do hope so. And that was one of the goals for, for making PyVespa. So there are different kind of use cases where you, uh, if you have like a, more of a low query volume, maybe you have 200,000 documents or something like that, you know, not really, not really very low latency and so on, then you can use Python and do en embeddings and you can play, then it natively works with Hugging Face and, and all those libraries that are typically written in Python. And then you can use Vespa, just purely HTTP based APIs and so on. The other option, which is more involved, I have to say, and that is that you can take a transformer model, for example, and export it to uh, ONX format or ONX, which is uh, open neural network exchange format. So that's a kind of open neural network format that multiple companies uh, like Microsoft, I think also Facebook uh, have rallied around, you know, this open format. So you can take the transformer models from the Hugging Face library, and then you can export it to Onyx, and then you can import Onyx models into Vespa for evaluation. And Vespa, we integrate with uh, Onyx Runtime, which is an open source library from, from Microsoft, which has a lot of different language bindings, Python, C++, Java. So it's a really great uh, library, and we integrate with that uh, so you don't use it directly, but we have like, you can put the model here, Vespa will, can use it and you can invoke it and, and so on. Oh, yeah. And, and those models, and then you're kind of a trade-off between, you know, 
getting to know Vespa, playing around with it, and then, you know, maybe low QPS, but in a scenario where you have like really large scale, you want to do 100,000 queries per second or something like that, then you move it to RNX and deploy it actually inside the Vespa cluster, which has many benefits because then you, you don't um, transfer a lot of data over the network and so on, because network is still even, you know, within the data centers, uh, maybe the network limitations have uh, this sold so you can get 10 gigs or 25 gigs even but going cross region um, then latency is still a, a concern and that's that's one thing that really fascinates me is that we still uh, sometimes you know the use cases are bottlenecked by the speed of the light right so yeah of course. <laughs> going from the east coast to the west coast in the u.s is easily 100 milliseconds so yeah that hasn't been yet cancelled or sold so yeah physics <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah this is fantastic and and so and also like even before we go into this wonderful world of models and late, latest advancements like I, i'm still curious also to dig into the item that you mentioned like you when when you have been evolving Vespa over time, you've found a need to add something really interesting, some really interesting data structures like tensors you mentioned. And like, could you um, elaborate a bit more on how this need arise? And also uh, like, you know, what are the use, use cases, typical use cases for it today? And also how accessible to an average user of Vespa, so to say. Yeah, so, um... I'll do a little bit of history on that. Um, so the Vespa document model you write, it has a fixed kind of, you have to have a defined schema in Vespa. So you have to define these. For instance, you have a document type called document and it has a title. It has maybe some timestamp. It maybe have uh, an integer attribute. So there are different like normal document model that you expect from kind of any, any schema oriented database. And we also had vectors, so you can do uh, early on that you can actually do uh, brute force dot products as part of ranking because that was really popular among in, in Yahoo, you know, for various ranking requirements, you will multiply, or sorry, you'll perform multiple uh, different dot products over the documents that you, your query has retrieved. Then in around 2013, 2014, uh, the researchers uh, in Yahoo said, you know, we really want to express these type of recommendation models where we can use the general concept of tensor. So not just storing a, a vector in the document, but even a matrix. And they had some use cases around um, recommendation. So for instance, in the, in the, in the, um, in the document, you can represent in, in the matrix. So you can have multiple, is this document popular uh, in, in multiple different categories, for example, that you know this document is popular among uh, people that are interested in use. This is uh, in the ones that are interested in finance and so on. So, so it's a really like complex and uh, complex like um, that you can actually have both the tensors in the in the document side, but also on the query side. And then you can do um, during the the ranking phase, you can evaluate these kind of expressions. So it's a really um, it's a really powerful, the, the language. And one example, concrete example is, um, we haven't touched on the language models and so on, but for instance, the Colbert model, which is uh, contextualized late uh, interaction over BERT, uh, where you actually take 
um, the query is not represented as one vector, but each of the terms in the query is represented as a vector. And similar on the document side, each of the document terms are represented as a vector. And then at runtime, uh, you retrieve documents and then you rank them based on this maximum similarity function. So it takes the vector of the first term and then it performs k dot products against the vectors of the document terms. And then you, you, you take the maximum of that score and then you do that for all of the terms. So and the final is the, is the sum. So that was actually one of the things that I personally, the tensors hadn't been that much used for search use cases, uh, but more around recommendation use cases. When I, when I, but when I saw Colbert and I saw the Maxim operator, I was like, this is just perfect fit for, for the Vespa tensor. Uh, it's a perfect use case. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's one example, yeah. Awesome. What you described, like when you go like many models today, it's like, okay, embed this passage, embed this paragraph, whatever. But if, if you need to go word level, that's like lots of data, lots of computation, right? Uh, so how you would even do this um, sounds like tensors have found the use case there. Yeah, and, and in uh, in uh, in Colbert, what, when we, we represented Colbert on Vespa, so we did a a large sample application around uh, the MS Marco dataset, the passage ranking dataset of, uh, of MS Marco. So we made a sample app where you can combine these different retrieval and ranking strategies. And but in our case, we used uh, Colbert as a re-ranking model, and that's one of the really strength of, of Vespa is that we allow you to express really complex retrieval and ranking pipelines, so that you do a query and then each of the nodes involved in the query, they will do a local ranking or matching. And then you can have a second phase locally on each node. And then when you have the kind of global view after you have done the scatter gather, then you can do another re-ranking phase because then you have the global view. So there are a lot of possibilities to kind of trade off between accuracy and, and cost. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And actually, as you've been describing this, I also realized that We've been recently discussing in one of the podcasts about multi-stage runker, right? So you could have either a sparse or dense retrieval, but you can then later use your graph algorithm even to kind of like re-rank the items. I think it was in the podcast with Yuri Malkov, the author of HNSW algorithm. And so have you have you seen any use cases based on Vespa, you know, for multi-stage ranking pipeline? Definitely. I mean, um, so both the search uh, in, in, internally in Yahoo and I also see this outside from, from customers using Vespa, they do multi-stage retrieval and ranking pipelines, right? So there's basically, um, the reason why you do it typically is that it's too expensive to evaluate um, the kind of final ranking model over all the documents, right? So you take some kind of approximation of that model and then you execute that as the kind of candidate retriever. And I think one of the, we haven't talked about the vector search capabilities of Vespa yet, but uh, one of the beauties of, of Vespa is that we, after we integrated approximate nearest neighbor search is that you can do a combination um, when you actually do the matching and, and querying that you can combine it, the regular sparse or keyword search with a vector search. 
and then you re-rank. And this kind of paradigm of having multiple stages, you know, you see that in the question answering pipelines as well, right? Where you have a retriever and then you have a, what they call a reader, right? Mm -hmm. So it basically finds some candidate passages from Wikipedia and then extracts in a reader. But evaluating the reader, which is a complex, typically a transformer model where you input both the query and the document at the same time into the deep neural network, it's very complex to actually evaluate that uh, over all the uh, potential uh, passages uh, yeah, in user exactly. types. It's like super intensive. And I, I, I'm super curious to drill into this topic of like combining, you know, neural search with sparse search. Actually, before that, as you've been talking, I've realized I'm actually now taking a search with machine learning course taught by Grant Ingersoll and Daniel Tankilang. It's a fantastic course. I can highly recommend it. It's super intense as well. And I think yesterday Grant mentioned that there, there are companies which, you know, that they really need to optimize only like top one or top two results. And they have built models to optimize only that top one or top two, which sounds like mind blowing, right? And that was like, something maybe this applies to web scale to some extent and one of my recent experiences is actually in web scale search engine we have a mobile screen and so we can only show top three results and the target is obviously to have a high ctr and so uh, we've um, we've quickly noticed that if you do a sparse search without any logic um on the query whatsoever CTR is very low, so you have to do some tricks like query understanding and also trying to increase precision at the same time maintaining the diversity of search in some degree. So, you know, basically it's very easy that with sparse search, you hit uh, just the tip of that iceberg and uh, basically say, okay, I have three teacher jobs for you, which is not that interesting because we don't know if the user is looking for teacher jobs, right? So, so that's, um, uh, that's like, um, uh, have you seen cases like this? I think these are really, really challenging ones. Yeah, but uh, in general, if you look at the results, like if you evaluate on MS Marco, for example, and the, the official metric there, which is the mean reciprocal rank, right? So if you get the perfect, the actual relevant document, you're able to retrieve it and put it in position one, uh, that query gets a score of one, right? But if you put it in the second place, it's going to have a score of 0.5. And I think that's really a good measure when you talk about mobile screen uh, precision at one, two, three. So that's really important. But in the kind of retrieval, multi-stage retrieval and ranking pipeline, it makes sense to spend more of the computational budget within the latest SLA on those top K hits, right? So... Like in when you go to Google today and you do a search, uh, probably 100 million documents will be excluded uh, in just a fraction of a millisecond, yeah. right? And then there are multiple stages. And you can be sure that the kind of the, the, the 10 last documents from the previous stages that they invest uh, more time uh, or computer, computer uh, resources on those hits, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also the good thing is that, is that because that's when I talked about the Vesp architecture where you have this division between stateless, which is doing the scatter gather and the, each of the local nodes is that basically in a search engine today, you need to move, you know, you need to move computations 
both to the data, right? There's a lot of talk about, you know, moving or separating compute from storage, which is a huge thing, right, in, in the cloud. Um, but in search, in search use cases with high throughput, high document, or you need to be able to do both. You need to do fast computations uh, across multiple nodes, and then you transfer data like in Westwell, each of the hits that you can um, include ranking features or so on that the, the subsequent phases can actually use for re-ranking. And the good thing is like, I know you've done a talk about diversity uh, in search results and so on, is that you need to have that global view, you know, in order to kind of optimize for, for diversity. And then you can kind of throw away a lot of the hits that you're not gonna show because of kind of business constraints or, or diversity constraints, and you don't need to invoke the heavy model uh, for those hits. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's interesting for these kind of pipelines, but one thing that is challenging um, regarding multi-stage pipelines is that they interact with each other, right? And if you do, if you have a, like a system for training your model, retraining the model using statistical features, what are users clicking on and so on, what are the features, then you will have some biases towards the actual, the ranking algorithm that is in place today, because that's the, that's the model that is bringing interactions. So you basically tr just retrain on the top hits. Uh, and that was what we saw on MS Marco as well, is that when they started to improve the retriever, so when they start actually, instead of having a BM25, like do BM25 and then re-rank, they had a mean reciprocal rank score of 0.35 or something. And now after changing into a dense retriever, now we're talking about 0 0.42 or, or something like that. So oh, wow. by improving, wow. the, improving the retriever, right? Because the retriever kind of sets the upper bound, you know, because the re-ranker cannot really dream up, you know, the relevant hits if the retriever hasn't retrieved it, right? So that's an important point, you know, in, in the retrieval and ranking stages. So exactly. And I think we can gradually move into neural search and vector search. But like, you know, it was one of the students uh, question also yesterday in the same course, how much you can actually solve with the re-ranker if you, your first stage retriever didn't even find what the user is looking for? which means probably the query is not a match for the search engine. You know, let's, let's say they're looking for a specific model of a phone, but they don't even sell phones, right? So like, and I think the response from Daniel Tankilang on this one was that actually you can implement a query understanding system, which will understand the query as much as it can. And if it knows that there are no such items in the database, don't even bother searching for them. And I think this was, a really, really clever advice on it. And, and, and he said that system worked extremely well. So like for user, for user satisfaction to save their time, right? Because in the end, what we're doing is actually optimizing the user journey, which then translates into business, right? So that was a fantastic example of how you can also attack such a search problem. Yeah. And, uh, that's one area where I, wanted to because we're building a lot of these sample applications what you can build with Vespa and query understanding has been one of the topics that I wanted to build out to to demonstrate you know how to do that especially uh, building it uh, using a transformer model actually so you can have different ways of doing this but one way of doing it is to uh, use it as a multi-label categorization problem 
So given the query, here are the intents and their probability. Uh, but what's been stopping me from doing this is that we need to work on kind of open data sets, you know, and there are very few query data sets in this way. So one approximation is actually to train uh, using the title. So in the e-commerce set, you can train um, based on, on, on the titles, but then you need to have some kind of label on, you know, is this, is this, you can do it around categories. So you have the title of the, of the e-commerce uh, listing and then you have the category. And the beauty of this is that you're actually mapping free text uh, queries into kind of a fixed predefined vocabulary, which is the categories. And then you can, you can actually eliminate zero hits, uh, the zero hits problem because you're actually no longer retrieving based on, on the free text queries, but you are retrieving based on the most kind of interesting categories. So yeah. yeah, so these are really interesting you know, topics. And that's one thing that I find you know, with search you know, and why I love being in search is that there's 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 a ton of things that you can you know build and you know there's query understanding you know there's facets there's retrieval and ranking dense sparse you know and then you have the scale of it you know how to make it fast you know there's just so many things you know there's just query understanding you know it's probably you know a full research topic you know yeah. on yeah. its own. Yeah. Know, so there, yeah. there's so many things involved in, in search so that's yeah, yeah it's like endless journey i agree it's like yeah it is like you can also dive into nlp side of things or you can stay with like scaling of search or query parsing whatever that you find passion and maybe your passion changes over time as well right so you did a bit of nlp then you move to query parsing then you move to maybe even scalability or whatever yeah i agree it's like a fascinating topic and also what fascinates me is that on the other side of things users are also not sleeping they're puzzling you all the time with new queries seasonal changes data changes as well um, because in mid-size or larger companies it's usually work of multiple teams and you know or departments some departments looking after data some looking after ranking recommendation all the feature collection and whatnot you know something somewhere can sometimes go wrong and you need to prepare for it you need to interact you need to kind of build a system that is resilient and it's it's a fantastic fantastic space yeah it really is and there are so many methods and that's also one of the things you know people you know, they want to build something that is great, you know, but it, even if you're using Apache Lucene or if you're using Vespa, you know, you need to have kind of some investment of actually getting great results. And that's the same thing if you're using like a vector search library or, you know, you need to have some kind of you know, data pipeline for your documents and queries. So there's, you know, I'm not a huge believer in, you know, none of these technologies really work that well, you know, out of the box you know it's it yeah, search is yeah. definitely not a sole problem and even if you look at google you know they're struggling as well you know there are many queries and question answering and so on that they totally get wrong you know and people will want to build google but they have like maybe two guys you know or, or, or girls you know working on search you know <laughs> you, you you don't build a great search experience you know if you're yeah, by a team of two two people yeah yeah it's a huge investment and also like time investment uh not just like you need to hire a lot of smart people but you need to give them time to actually go through all these challenges and you know now that you've mentioned vector search i'm actually curious like when in vespa journey 
you know, did you first hear about vector search and actually what caught your eye? And, you know, like sometimes even today when companies evaluate whether or not to take the neural search journey or stay with the sparse search journey, it is not that obvious actually. And, um, and maybe you could share some advice there as well, but maybe first, if you could also do a historical deep dive there, super exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, so, um, we've been using like doc products and so on for search, but it's been, um, it's been, um, brute force, right? So we've been able to do brute force, uh, vector search in Vespa for a long time. <clears throat> and then, um, in 2018, um, BERT came out and in January, 2019, um, the researchers published really great results on the MS Marco passage ranking. And then we like, you know, this is this BERT model, you know, how can we use it? You know, is it, you know, there were a lot of things, you know, to, to get your head around, you know, what it's BERT is and how to use this. And then we saw that there basically were two ways of, of using it, either as a representation model where you encode the query and the document independently, and then you can build uh, using a vector search library, you can build the index of your corpus and then you can retrieve pretty efficiently if you have an approximate search version. So that actually was what motivated us in 2019. We started that work in, in summer, August to actually have vector search. And then also internally in Yahoo, there were a couple of image search use cases uh, around Hamming distance. Um, so they were pushing for that. So there are multiple things and also our users, it was open source by then. So users were also asking for it you know, can Vespa do vector search? You know, we see that we can represent vectors, but uh, it's not that cost efficient if we need to do brute force. So then we start looking at, you know, it, it, and we had all the kind of building pieces. We had the tensor, the document models, representing floats um, and all these numeric fields. And so, so we had, it wasn't a lot of work to get all the kind of pieces together, but we had to implement uh, the algorithm. And we did, we did a, Pretty, I think like one month where we actually surveyed multiple algorithms for uh, approximate vector search, you know, how could they fit into the Vespa model of doing things. So, so that's the background of, of kind of why, why vector search came to, came to Vespa. And it was really exciting when we started on working on that because there were a lot of interest in it, right? So there were people wanted to work on that project. So Yeah, of course, because it's something like a bleeding edge and like uh, new, but also like one of the podcasts I mentioned, um, I think it was also with Yuri Malkov that I've, I've had a friend who worked in essentially vector search, but he was a mathematician himself, right? So I also viewed it as a pure mathematical concept. And I was like, yeah, he's playing with some theoretical, you know, advancements. And then he actually gave a talk at Google, you know, as well, actually presenting this algorithm and the nearest neighbor search essentially and how to optimize it. And even then I wasn't like essentially buying in and like, okay, it's still mathematics. But then when I was reading HNSW paper, I saw them citing his work. I was like, wow, so now these paths have intersected. So now this makes sense. And, you know, usually it excites me when it's put into practice. Is that how you felt as well? Like was mathematic aspect of it like engaging for you or did you view it more like an engineering sort of uh, 
Yeah, I'm definitely on the engineering side. So I'm definitely on the engineering side. So for example, on transformers, you know, I don't care about the deep neural network architecture, how these interacts. You know, I basically treat it as a black box, you know. This is this is the box and you need a tokenizer for it. Okay, what's the tokenizer? What's the input? What's the output? What can I use it for? You know, I'm I'm not gonna do uh, and they, they, I mean, a lot of researchers actually study, you know, how can we build ultimate neural network architecture? So definitely, no, for, for me, that was not the math uh, involved, but we, we had some people in our team with a heavy math background. And, uh, you know, they can teach me a little bit about what is a proper distance metric and, you know, why, why this won't work and, and this won't work. So that, that was really also a learning experience for, for, for me to, to engage with the search core team on, on this feature. Yeah. And a huge yeah. discussion we had, you know, was, you know, one of my main point was that, you know, we need to be able to integrate um, for users when they want to use vector search, they want to have filters. They want to be able to express this in our query language so that you can combine the best of both worlds. And, and that took really some time, you know, to, to get that right. And, and that was really, uh, you know, really fun to see that, that you actually can write a query and say that, hey, give me documents that are near in vector space, then filter on this attribute, but at the same time also compute or retrieve uh, based on the weekend query operator, which you heard about weekend, which is an optimization technique uh, for doing sparse retrieval, and that you could actually express that in the same query. And I have to say that uh, I, was, I was really proud of our effort when, when we came out with that and, and to be able to combine it. And, that, yeah, and that's yeah. really, if you look on the future side, I think vector search, um, it's been the biggest game changer for us uh, was to actually integrate vector search because that spurred a lot of interest in, into Vespa. Yeah, yeah. And I can so we actually have people coming in, you know. Yeah, go ahead. I can imagine that uh, vector search can still uh, be useful in search as well as recommendation uh, systems, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So, so and that's the, one of the things that, you know, you see that uh, factorization machines, uh, dot products has been used for recommendation for a long time. So you basically see uh, the technology for search and recommendation use cases kind of merging into the kind of same uh, same space, technology space. And, and for those type of use cases, I think Vespa is, is really, uh, really strong technology. And but the interesting thing that I want to mention is that we had people coming in, you know, asking about Vespa, thinking that it was a vector search database. And then they realized, hey, you know, there's keywords, there's ranking, there's a lot of other features here, you know. So, so that's been interesting for me, you know. You know, I, I see vector search as a feature of, of Vespa and this whole kind of serving engine that you can use for search and recommendation. Not like I see vector search as a very important feature, but it's like one feature of, 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 of Vespa. Yeah, I have to admit that in part, I probably played that role in, of bringing those users onto you through that blog post that I will, of course, mention and did mention multiple times and where I compare multiple, you know, now seven vector databases. And I did put Vespa in that corner just to consider only the vector part, but I knew that you guys offer a lot more and actually still learn at some point, hopefully we'll use Vespa in some project that I can actually evaluate. But yeah, you're absolutely right. 
that some of these systems are actually beyond just vector search and you know also the use cases like the way you view this right you should actually take a step back and ask yourself what is it that you are trying to build yeah i think it's really important and so when you look at vector search and we didn't so so to clarify on the algorithm side after investigating annoy and several techniques we went for um yuri markov's hnsw algorithm so we implemented a version of that to be able to also handle filtering real-time updates and so on so but i think one discussion that is is not heard that often is that vector search when you introduce kind of hnsw or any technique you are losing some accuracy compared to the brute force right so for example a data set that is called sift one million documents you can do single threaded brute force search over those one million vectors in about 100 milliseconds right but if you do approximate and then some parameters of hnsw you might get down to 0.1 milliseconds or so on using a library, right? So it's thousand times faster, but by doing that, you are losing some accuracy. And that's uh, kind of, when I see blog posts about approximate vector search without mentioning the kind of trade-offs between uh, recall and performance, then I like, you know, you should include the recall numbers. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Because there's really, so it's really, I think is really important and for many use cases right uh it might be that you need to use a brute force because that kind of approximative error that you introduce is not acceptable right so we do have use cases in yahoo that we actually use we don't have like large amount of documents that would actually use a brute force search and vespa right. vespa supports brute force search as yeah. well is yeah. that right yeah okay so you can switch uh and that's the beauty is that since we support this you just say in the query time you can say approximate true or false and that means that you can take a query run it using a brute force and then you can compare the result for the brute force with exact with the approximation then you can compute the overlap between those two and that's typically then what's used in the recall at K, right? So I did um, two blog posts on what I call billion scale vector search with with, um, uh, with Vespa, where I did um, kind of deep dive, I think, into these kind of trade-offs. Because when you introduce approximate, you also need to build these kind of index structures. So in HNSW, you need to build the graph, right? So, which is time and resource uh, taking time, you know, and costing memory. So there are all these kind of, trade-offs and that's generally i mean generally for search there are a lot of trade-offs but especially around vector search i call it the jack of all trade-offs because there's so many things you know to consider you know memory usage disk usage cpu and, and so on so yeah that, i love that and, term <laughs> jack of all trade-offs <laughs> yeah. yeah but it but it really is you know you really have so many trade-offs and some companies you know maybe you have lots of data but you don't have any real throughput right in that case maybe disk ann or things like basically using disk is is a good alternative because when you're buying servers in the cloud or renting servers in the cloud you pay uh, when you want to have this amount of memory you get this amount of cpu 
right? That comes in a, in a kind of a relationship between the CPU and the, and the memory. And, and so there are different trade-offs uh, around, you know, what, what's actually gonna use it for, you know? Yeah, exactly. Have you heard any other misconceptions of, about neural search at large? You know, when somebody comes and says, hey, I want to implement a question answering system, you could in principle use sparse search techniques or like query understanding techniques, you know, to actually almost do it in the rule-based fashion. Um, but like neural search on the other hand is like, you know, new sexy stuff everyone wants to try out. So the question is like, have you heard of any misconceptions or something that people think it's much easier than it is? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, it's a fantastic question. I think, you know, you, you can just sit back, you know, this is, <laughs> I relax for a few minutes because this is a topic that I really love. Um, yeah, so, so, so the first time when we, if you look at semantic search, especially around vector search, if, if we, semantic search might mean a lot, but if you look at the kind of uh, the typical that people use semantic search today is that you have this vector search, right? You have an independent query embedding in the document embedding and so on. And if you base this, if you take them um, pre-trained language model from Hug Interface, and you just pull that model, and then you encode your queries using, for instance, the CLS token or the average over all the tokens, and the result that you will get from that is not going to compete at all with a BM25, right? Because that language model has not been, it, it's only been learn, learning how to do mask language model, right? So it's basically, it's been trained on predicting the next word, right? So it's a deep neural network that's, it's not been trained for that. So it's basically like, taking some deep neural network for my vacuum cleaner and put it into my car, you know, to try to drive the car. It's not been trained for that, right? <laughs> so that was one of the things, you know, when we struggled as well, when we looked at Bert and the other people like, oh, it's so great. And then we had the engine and we could like compare it with BM25. And then we did Bert here. And it was like, um, these results, if you look at the actual information retrieval benchmarks, they're like, the results are not good, right? They're, they're, they're like really, so then came the kind of, you know, realization. I think that's actually happened around in the industry as well in 2020 when the DPR, Dense Passage Retriever uh, paper came out from, from Facebook where they trained on natural questions. Uh, the Google data set, they actually trained this dense retriever and the dense model using a contrastive loss and hard negative mining. So. They, they basically demonstrate, you know, how to actually train a dense retriever model. And then we actually saw the results were much better than, than BM25 uh, in that. But, but there's a huge, um, so, so that's one area where I think that people uh, just using the pre-trained model might not work well, especially if it's not been tuned for retrieval. And even if you look at MS Marco, which is the largest, uh, data set out there that you can train a model on. If you train a model uh, on MS Marco, and then you apply that model into a different domain, so uh, on a different data set, it might not uh, outcompete BM25. In fact, it actually, in, in many cases, it actually uh, underperforms compared to BM25. Right? Yeah. So, and that's why there's a lot of interest, and especially uh, recently, is like, you know, if we combine this exact matching, you know, the, the actual user search for this phrase, but we can also have the vector representation, you know, how to combine that 
And that's, that's actually two of my colleagues are right now working on the beer data set uh to to they open the pr to the uh, to the um, to the data set to include vespa as well and there we will uh, demonstrate some methods for combining sparse and dense yeah that's awesome like i've read the beer paper after you referred it to me actually and it was quite eye-opening because it does compare not only sort of like search engine algorithms and approaches but also data sets and tasks right which different tasks like searching or answering questions may matter quite a lot. And so it was quite an eye-opening that first of all, BM25 is fairly competitive. So it's not a loser, not at all. So like you should still consider using it like, and actually maybe even keeping it as a strong baseline in everything you do. And I know some companies, by the way, still use TF-IDF. So maybe they should also like first transition to BM25 and only then jump to neural search techniques or like a dense retrieval. And, and I think you also mentioned that, um, and I saw by the way that you have participated in various competitions on dense retrieval and on ranking, like, um, can you, uh, can you elaborate a bit more? Like what drives your interest there? Because to me, that sounds more like academic interest in a way, right? But of course you're also showcasing and probably bringing ideas back to Vespa. Yeah, so um, the motivation was actually around the MS Marco passage ranking and uh, where we actually could use this data set. And then our dream when we started to implement vector search was one thing. And the other thing was, you know, how can we represent um, re-ranking using BERT in Vespa? So using the actual BERT model, inputting both the query and the document at the same time. So that was one dream we had, and but we were looking at the results, and I think the first paper that we read, it read that they, they used maybe a day to with the, even with the GPU to actually perform three thousand six hundred uh, queries, right? So it was not really, you know, how can we make this practical? And then two years later, uh, we actually did did beat their benchmark end-to-end -end represented on Vespa, and we were doing it in less than 100 milliseconds. So on CPU, right? So, but there'll be a lot of learning to get there. Uh, but that was the motivation to kind of demonstrate that you can take this state-of-the-art or close to state-of-the-art retrieval and ranking pipeline from an open data set, which is how widely recognized and all the researchers are actually publishing papers around it. You can actually take that model and use Vespa and get those results, you know? So it was one way of demonstrating that, you know, you can actually, demo you can actually use these models with Vespa and have it serve in your state. So that was actually the motivation, not on the kind of science side and so on, but I have to say that I really, would encourage everybody that works in search to look at some of these open data sets, you know, play with them, you know, maybe you have some ideas, you know, around search and how to do search. And uh, there's a lot of talks about boosting this phrasing, you know, how actually does that Im impact the results on kind of a data set? And I, and I, I can really recommend the track COVID, which is a um, data set that was um, made uh, at the start of the pandemic. And it has about 50 queries and deep judgments for each of the queries and the collection is rather small. So you can play with it on, the, on a single node and so on. So that I will really encourage, you know, people in search to, 
to try out, you know, because then you get the feeling, you know, does it actually work? Does it actually, you know, compare it with BM25? What what happens if I do phrase matching or do something clever? You know, so I think that's and 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 I'm really not a huge fan of anecdotal uh, query examples. You see these kind of commercial actors with this, you know, I'm searching for this and there's magic results, you know. Um, I'm more into, you know, demonstrating that actually Vespa can do this and, and it has the funding and actually on the real data sets. Yeah, and I agree. In the end of the day, what matters is, first of all, can you apply this tech, as you said, in your real setting, right? In your domain, then another thing that you mentioned just now, uh, you know, the track COVID data set. So maybe as the result of your research, you might also impact on the global situation, right? Maybe somewhere locally, maybe somebody will use your work to actually implement a better search system. So I think that that's also a fantastic segue to, uh, you know, the the context that you're doing. And that's actually a very interesting point because we had, um, uh, at the start of the pandemic, we built um, a Core 19 uh, search interface that we published online so people could actually go and search this data set. And people... There were, I, I don't I don't recall the details, but it's still online and people actually because it was all open source, so they forked it and they, they started using Vespa and based on that. And I think it's a much better shape uh, that service right now than than the the Core nineteen search that we did. So they actually built on that work. So so that's that's great. And I, I love to put what I call sample applications. You know how what can you build with with Vespa? And, and that's actually a lot of my time these days are spent on making these sample applications smooth and easy to to work with and uh, especially we've been rather weak on the kind of ui uh, putting together front ends and so on so that's actually some work that i'm doing right now to kind of build more of the product you know what can you build with it because people don't get really excited about looking at json output you know to actually see some interactions faces facets you know auto completion and to actually build that whole experience you know yeah, yeah for yeah, the yeah. for the product people yeah, it's like looking at the engine when you actually want to maybe look at the car right and then you get fascinated by how shiny and sort of slick it is and then then you're like i'm buying it yes yes i i totally hear you there and like actually in these use cases you know there are other platforms, you know, in the neural search space, also doing multiple demos. Um, have you been looking into the direction of multimodal search? Does that excite you? Do you think it's too much of a bleeding edge um, or niche use case? Or do you think it has potential because of the neural search crossing the boundary of text towards the image, audio, and so on? Yeah, I think multimodal is really where vector search um, is is shining. So this is the area where you it really shines. I I have some doubts about out of domain, like we discussed, using a vector model for text search uh, if you don't have any labeled training data and so on and adopted to your data. Uh, using vector search alone for that, I think, is uh, questionable. Um, but looking at this multimodal where you combine uh, both a transformer model and a typical image model, and you train that representation. And from what I've seen from these models, and we did a sample application on this as well, uh, using the CLIP um, embedding model from, from um, OpenAI. 
And looking at the results, I, I'm, I have to say that I'm really impressed, uh, like kind of just eyeballing. I don't have any kind of, uh, I don't have any hard data sets or, but it's really impressive, uh, you know, what that model can, can actually do. Um, so I definitely think that multimodal is, is, is very, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, that far um, ahead, I think, because we have interest in representing clip in Vespa from, from actual questions. I'm actually answering an email right now, you know, how to, you know, they, they want to some help on their schema and, and definitely they, they want to use clip. Yeah. That's, that's uh, so nice. definitely, I don't think it's that advanced uh, at the moment. And I think we'll see another thing that I'm working on right now is that I talked about our sample applications. I want to build a new sample application that demonstrates uh, in a UI in an e-commerce setting where you combine different kind of fussy matching, exact matching, vector search, all in the same query. And then you can have some sliders where you actually slide these you know how does the result change and they change in, in, in real time so i just need some help on the on the react front end because i'm, I'm not a, i'm not a great javascript programmer i have to admit <laughs> so, so i need some help on that so yeah but i definitely think that multimodal vector search has a really uh, has a huge number of use cases yeah uh, i hope that amongst the listeners of the of this podcast maybe there are some with front-end skills and maybe since you are building this for open source, you know, um, that might be a good use case as well to be contributing to this crazy journey. Well, we have, yeah, I mean, that would, I mean, definitely we do see more uh, involvement and contributions from, from the, in the kind of community around uh, Vespa. So I think we build a lot of the last two years on the community side and, and people getting to know more about Vespa and actually starting to contribute back uh, both on the sampling applications uh, and also documentation. And also we're seeing now more involvement in contributing to the code. So, so definitely, yeah. So, yeah. so that's, but I, I think it's from a product side, it's really important for us to, and also we have a commercial offering uh, of Vespa where you actually have a hosted interface, hosted uh, solution, multi-region. Uh, and to, I think it, we want Vespa to be, able to run fully fledged in your environment if you want to use it because it's open source it's Apache 2.0 uh, if you want to use our cloud you are welcome to do that uh, and to kind of have and the same kind of functionality uh, and what we add in the cloud is CI CD pipelines how to do multi-region uh, failovers like in the US East US West you can have different, so all this kind of top and take care of, uh, sorry, take care of uh, nodes failing and whatever, you know, the whole the kind of hosted experience. So, so, and that's been an issue with our sample apps. They have been like, it has been some friction around, you know, how to deploy them locally, how to deploy them to the cloud. So trying to kind of bring them together so that they, they work in, in, in multiple environments. So. Lot of sense, and I guess it takes a lot of engineering effort to also kind of cover all these different use cases. So sounds uh, quite exciting. And actually, demoing the technology, I think, you know, as you know, other vector databases have done it, and I think it's a such a low entry for, especially for non-technical people or those who are in charge of businesses, business units, to actually make decisions. And I think. For them, 
you know, having a relevant demo is going to be quite um, a game changer uh, because if they need to reason about your technology only through the eyes of engineers in their company, then probably that's that, that's much longer path, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I want this experience to be uh, as smooth as possible so that you can get started with a sample application, uh, run it locally, get some data into it, fire up your front end, react, and you can interact with it. And if you're happy with it, if you want to share it with your friends, uh, you can upload it to the Vespa Cloud and then you can share the URL to uh, your friends. And that's a model that I really believe in that you can, it's open source, so you can actually run it locally and then you can take the cloud provider can actually take care of the hosting uh, for you. So that's, uh, and right now we actually, we, we are providing like free trials. So you don't, you only need an email address for the Vespa Cloud. You don't need a credit card or things like that. So you can actually play play with it and, and, and run with it. We can even leave a link where users can try out um, Vespa and subscribe. So I think that will be quite beneficial. And actually, I was thinking like, even though we a little bit drifted in our conversation away from vector search, uh, you did mention the exciting space of combining, you know, vector search with smart search. And I wanted to take it from the angle of a non-technical user, right? So let's say they come to you and they say, Joe, can you actually enlighten me a little bit on how do I combine these things? Maybe I just want to dip my toe in vector search just to see what it can or cannot do in my domain. What would you recommend them to do, assuming that they already have maybe like a sparse search engine and maybe they are evaluating Vespa as one candidate? Yeah, so, so I think the question is, um, uh, if you're using Vespa, it's rather easy to, to, to do this because you, you can express it in a query and then you write the ranking profile saying that, you know, this is how I'm gonna combine the sparse ranking signal, for example, BM25 with the retrieval. Um, for others that are not using Vespa, using, for example, Elasticsearch and open source Apache Solar, what we see is that they build a lot of infrastructure on top of these. So they actually have the ranking layers outside of Elasticsearch, right? So in that case, you could have um, a kind of a vector search library running at the side of Elasticsearch and then retrieve and then you need to you need to keep those two data stores in sync and then you can f in parallel fetch uh, okay give me Elasticsearch your best results and vector search database give me your best results and then you can use a technique called reciprocal rank fusion where you basically merge the results based on you know are they are they ranking you know is the document found in both you know so, so that's that's a powerful technique of where you don't have to actually know anything about the distribution of ranking scores and so on. So, Google is writing a lot about reciprocal rank fusions. So it's it's an interesting direction, yeah, and that's yeah, one yeah. thing we know from Bing and from others from from both Bing and from uh, Baidu in, in China is that they're doing this kind of mix mix retrieval uh, with different systems for sparse signals and then signals, but. But then you have, for the regular users, you have a lot of moving parts, right? You have different data stores, manage it. And that's one of the things that we try to, our advantage is that when you're using Vespa is that 
you know, you, you, you get these capabilities in the same engine. You don't need to store the data in different stores and having uh, consistency problems because of that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I would definitely, if you're interested, if you're sitting there today with open source or, or, or Elasticsearch, uh, and you don't want to invest in in in, in Vespa, you could try uh, dispatching the query and doing reciprocal rank fusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be like one way to actually introduce something from more like uh, semantic search if you view it that way, right? So that's a great idea because I think um, there are multiple approaches to this, and I think if you are within one search engine. Um, like say Vespa or Elasticsearch, OpenSearch or Solar, what have you, then I think you could in principle experiment with like fusing, you know, the neural search result with um, sparse search using some kind of linear combination as you actually retrieve it, right? Yeah, so, be, so, so, yeah. So, so you can actually use a linear combination, but uh, the great thing about this rank fusion is that you don't simply, you don't look at the ranking scores. So you basically just fuse them by the order uh, of their return. So you don't have to know anything about the yeah. score uh, distribution. Like BM25, it has basically unbounded. Uh, it could be 25, it could be 100, it could be 5, right? So it's very difficult to, to, to combine that using a linear model because you have two signals, you know, and one is number is going to be like this and the other is going to be between 0 and 1, right? Yeah. So reciprocal rank fusion is, is definitely, you know, uh, an interesting case. Actually, this is a super great point, and hopefully we can provide some links to this because this technique, because um, I think um, I heard this question multiple times that what you said exactly just now, that the score spaces are completely different and they are not compatible with each other. And so you have to find a way to still interleave them or merge them right so that um what you said exactly makes sense that you don't pay attention to the score space you actually look at the order and you try your best to interleave them yeah that makes um total sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah there was actually a recent recent paper on because there has been more interest in that these dense models alone that they generalize not that well when you're using out of domain and one of the things that the Google researchers were doing and showed promising result was using this rank fusion. And I've seen this rank fusion in multiple Google papers. So, so it's very interesting. The researchers there, they're really interested in, in reciprocal rank fusion. So, Yeah, sounds like um, a popular technique. Yes, I mean, time flies and I really enjoy talking. Um, it feels like we could record another podcast. What do you think? Unpacking multiple topics. But I, I still really love to pick your brain on that philosophical question and kind of ask you what, what keeps you um, so interested? Like um, you are a loudmouth behind Vespa in general, uh, but you also offer a bunch of advice, right? like through your blogs, uh, through your public presentations and even sharing papers on Twitter, at least for me, was super helpful that I could, you know, quickly read the paper that you shared. But what keeps you motivated and interested to stay in this field? And also specifically, you know, um, 
maybe you think something is missing in the vector search space or in general in, in search space that you would like to fix? Yeah, so it's a great philosophical question. I think I'm not that excited about vector search. I see that as a technique. So I'm more like excited about search because I think it's such a fascinating problem. We touched on it before, you know, you have query categorization, spelling, you have so many different aspects of building a great search experience. And also the scale thing is really appealing for me, you know, kind of passionately about, you know, how can we do this billion scale? How can we make it fast? You know, what if we need 100,000 queries per second? What if we need to update all the documents in, in real time in within 12 hours or one hour or, you know, where's the limits, you know, uh, where is the cloud going, you know, this compute versus storage, can we now move more computations out of the storage layer? Uh, there are a lot of these exciting on the kind of system things, but on the kind of more science things, you know, how to build a great search experience. I think you need to have these kind of multiple techniques and we didn't touch on it, but vector search is one thing, sparse search is another, but GBDT models, tree-based models is really ruling the search world. It's kind of the hammer of search uh, because those models on tabular data, statistical features, you know, they really show promising results. And that's another thing that I think is great then about WESP is that you can combine these GBT models, neural metals uh, in the same ranking functions. I don't think that there's a one single silver bullet for retrieval. I think there are multiple different uh, signals. Like for instance, let's, let's do vector search. If you only do vector search, if Google only did vector search, only on the text, right? It would basically, you have a lot of duplicates on the web. Uh, you have low quality content, you know, there's page rank, there are other factors, you know, it's not only vector search, there's that kind of different techniques. So, and so that means also that there's a lot of things, new things to learn, you know, how do you do query categorization? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you actually uh, determine which facets and the kind of navigation you're going to show to the user? And like you touched on at the start, you know, um, if a user does a query and we don't have any good results, you know, should we just slow them some random results or should we say that, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but we don't have anything for your query. So, yeah, that's really what motivates me is that it's such a fantastic problem if you're interested in scale and, and all these kind of things coming together. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. It's deep and it's uh, very wide and I think it's like limitless space and um, I hope also that newcomers feel it's kind of like a low bar entry, especially, and we didn't touch on this, but especially with your work in open source, you know, the support, um, like you can go on Slack or whatever tool you're using to communicate with your users and actually listen and address their concerns or questions. And hopefully this opens more, you know, more possibilities for newcomers to enter.
Yeah, I, I love I love actually <laughs> it's actually a weakness as well, but I love uh, answering questions. You know, you can see me answering questions on multiple Slack spaces. You know, I love people, you know, asking questions about search. So I, I really love that. And um and what really gets me if someone is struggling with something, you know, how can I do this with Vespa? And I'll, and I'll try to explain it, you know, you have to do this and that, you know, and then I like I go back, you know, at the product and saying, you know, we need to fix this, you know, we, we, we need to make this more easy for people to use, right? So it's, it's, it's a both way thing. And I, that's one thing that I learned in my career is that, you know, listen carefully to your users, um, how they're using the product, what are the pain points, you know, how, how, to, how, to, how does it feel to get started? Uh, are they able to progress? Um, so that's that's really also motivating. And and honestly, I think that some of the work that we've done uh, using some of these uh, smaller transformer models has been has, has an impact on the industry. Like I got contacted by a person here on Twitter the other day. He said that, you know, I saw your tweet about these smaller language models, like not the BERT base that people usually turn but this mini LM model, which is a distilled um, 22 million parameters that actually did a demo that you can run it in your browser. And he said, you know, I saw your tweet and I went ahead and, and tried it for my domain, uh, which was a classification of hate speech. And then he like did a blog post on it and he mentioned me. And I think that was really like interesting for me to see that, you know, that I could share something that some people could actually make use of even if it was outside of search so and i learn a lot from uh, especially around the relevancy slack space that we are both in uh, the open source connections slack space uh, so a lot of discussion there vector search you know and we are you know sharing some blog posts and then i ask greg from pinecoin a tough question maybe you know and so so, so i really love being there and discussing and, and and i learn a lot from from other people like josh devins from Elasticsearch and so and and from you and 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 um, especially around uh, Berlin Buzzwords last year, you did the AMA on vector search. And I, for me, like one of the key moments was that Max Irvin, uh, your co-host on that, he said, you know, what if the user types a, a phrase query, you know, actually quote marks. I I want to search for this exact phrase. You know, don't show me anything else. Give me that phrase. You know. And that's something that is really hard to do with vector search alone, uh, right? Because yes. you basically map it into this vector space and you do the similarity. So, yeah. and that was a key takeaway from me. And that was a really eye opener for me. You know, we need to be building out better examples of how actually to combine sparse and, and then singles. So, yeah, this is amazing. And, um, what I enjoyed what you said is that you keep your practitioner hat on so you don't just buy in easily into these new models or you don't stay only in the field of, okay, I'm only an engineer. I don't even know what machine learning is because I think the profession is slowly changing and it's like a blend of skills where today you need to succeed as a search engineer. And maybe it shouldn't be called the search engineer anymore. Like, I think it needs some um, new term, but we will probably be stuck with it for the lack of a better term, but eventually you will need more skills under your belt. And I think of the work 
that you are doing is amazing in sharing this knowledge and that people can actually reproduce it. And I think that's super, super crucial for the progress. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Dimitri. That's that's really nice of you. Uh, and and you know, that's that's um, I um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's 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 actually true, you know, to share. Uh, and I think that what you said, you know, building a search team today is really hard um, because, especially since deep learning entered the search field, right? So now you need to know how to configure and do matching and boosting an elastic search and now we also need to you know how do i train a dense vector model and you know how should i you know should i use bert should i use bert large you know uh, does it handle multilingual text and uh, does it handle spell correction you know there are all these kind of different things you know so building a search team in 2022 uh, it, it's not easy because you need the kind of a mixed NLP search, you know, there are a lot of different things. And that's what I love about it, you know. And I, I talked about on Twitter and in, in, a, in, in a talk I did uh, earlier as well, that this neural paradigm shift has opened this kind of knowledge gap, you know, how to actually successfully apply these methods. Um, and also on the technology side that we try to bring, you know, with, with Vespa that you can kind of combine different techniques. We don't have to throw away 50 or 300 years of the inverted index. You know, we, we don't need to throw that away. You know, it still has value. It's going to have value probably forever, you know, so, so we don't have to throw it away. So that's interesting, but that's also what has been fascinating. And I've said, numerous times that I don't think I've learned that much in my career that I've actually over the last three years because reading papers, it's not been a big kind of interest of mine earlier. It's been more of the system side, engineering side. Uh, but that's been an eye opener for me, you know, to kind of how to apply these techniques and yeah, so and, and to, to learn, you know, and that's the great thing about open source is that, you know, we can share uh, ways of doing things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sharing is caring and uh, so much comes back to you, as you said, you know, you get mentioned somewhere and you feel like you didn't do it in vain, but also you might learn something new, like a new use case. And I feel the same, you know, when, when I blog or when some video is viewed by somebody and then somebody says, thank you, even just multiple months after I did it. And, you know, it's just an amazing feeling. It's like a sense of connection as well, especially in these days when we don't maybe meet socially as we used to, but that's a new, actually evolutionary new way of connecting. And I feel much more comfortable and enjoying this more detailed conversation. So maybe these interactions on Twitter, they, they bring a lot more value and I think this is super, super great. Is there something that you would like to share on Vespa development or maybe something that users might anticipate and maybe you want to point them to some tutorial that they might, you know, take a look at? Yeah, so I can give a few product updates of what's coming from Vespa. We are coming, um, we're gonna release some uh, integrated dense models for Vespa. 
so though you don't have to export you can you can use this model off the shelf and then we allow you to uh, tune the query encoder so you have the document encoder is frozen but then you can tune the query encoder and then uh, show you how to combine this combining both dense and sparse so that's one thing that is coming out uh, other thing is that we're taking some steps regarding uh, for low QPS use cases because we designed Vespa you know to be kind of low single digit milliseconds on multiple different use cases but um, not everybody needs that uh, so we're introducing some new options uh, for manage memory management uh, so that you can actually run uh, on servers with less memory uh, so that's that's I think that's going to be a game changer for certain use cases that don't need high throughput uh, low latency um, so so that's two things and um, yeah, that's. I think that's more than enough. You know, that's, yeah. and, and there will there will be some some blogs. I think about uh, our results on the beer, uh, beer benchmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Uh, and uh, I'm gonna come out also with a blog post on a technique called span, which is a paper from Microsoft. So I end to end represented that on on Vespa. So it's really interesting technique, the hybrid combination of HMSW and inverted file. And you can represent this end-to-end -end in Vespa. So I'm going to do a part three of my blog post series on billion scale. Yeah. So that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to. But right now I'm like kind of refactoring a lot of the sample applications and so on to 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 get the experience more smooth. Yeah. 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 Sounds fantastic. Looking forward to it. And uh, we'll make sure to link all the blog posts that you mentioned, especially on billion scale vector search and other tutorials that you mentioned and this is fantastic thank you for doing this and keep doing this keep finding the energy i know it's tough sometimes but i think it keeps you also awake and sort of like pushing yourself forward and i think the best way to use your brain is actually doing something that is useful be, be it reading a paper or implementing code or blogging about it so this is fantastic thanks so much for for your active contribution. Thank you. Thank you as well. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I really hope we can record at some point down the road as well, if you will be open to it. And I think we can cover a lot more topics as well. But I wish you all the success in your endeavors and stay warm and excited about the field. Yeah, <laughs> I will. I mean, it's such an exciting field. Thank you very much, uh, Dimitri, for, for hosting this. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk later on. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you and see you around. Bye bye.